Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live to tape online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, Hyundai gets a real penalty for using child labor. OSHA is investigating Amazon in Huntsville. We talk about how to beat apathy in your workplace and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, well, That's going to be a problem because this is a recorded episode. We are down in Montevallo, Alabama right now at the Labor Notes Alabama Troublemakers School. But we do still have a phone number and the line is still open. So if you have thoughts, questions, or comments during today's show, you can call or text and leave us a voicemail and we might respond on the next show. That phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us online. Uh, we're anywhere you find anything online. We are on TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Valley Labor Report and you'll be able to find us. Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. So if you want to become a sustaining member of the program, make a one-time donation, buy our hat or our stickers, you can go to our website, tvlr.fm, or become a patron at patreon.com slash Report. If you're a member of a union, you should see about getting your local, your state council, your international federation to sponsor the program. We really appreciate our union sponsors, and we couldn't do it without them either. So we're going to jump right into last week in Southern Labor and go through uh, what's been going on. Last Week in Southern Labor is a segment that we do every week, mostly, where we talk about what happened in the labor movement in the South. We pull the information from Jonah Furman's newsletter, Who Gets the Bird?, which compiles all this information for the entire United States. So if you want to see what's going on outside the South, then you should subscribe to said newsletter. That is whogetsthebird.substack.com. 
With that, let's jump into new organizing for the week of October 2nd through October 8th. And we'll start with a big picture uh, from the NLRB's recent report on its past fiscal year, which just ended. New filings are up 53% over last year, and ULP filings are up 19% from last year. ULPs are unfair labor practice charges. So it is really true that we are in the middle of an uptick in NLRB activity, but it's important to note that there were more filings in 2016 than in the past year, and that was no high watermark. One way, according to Jonah, to think about what's happening is that pre-pandemic, we were at the beginning of a rising tide of union activity. 2018, with the mass teacher strikes, was the strikingest year since 1986, and October 2019 had far more workers on strike than in so-called striketober of 2021. So one way to look at this is that we were in the middle of a rising tide of union activity pre-pandemic that was interrupted by COVID and is now resuming. Maybe the biggest takeaway from the NLRB report is that they have lost half of their field staff in the last 20 years and have had stagnant funding for the past nine That's important because if we're going to route new union activity through an administrative bureaucracy, it being under-resourced is going to become a really, really big problem. Also, two respiratory service techs at the U.S. Army Post in Redstone Arsenal, Alabama are joining Operating Engineers Local 320. Charlottesville, Virginia is the latest public sector jurisdiction in Virginia to pass a collective bargaining law combined with a raise for bus drivers. In Alexandria, Virginia, where a similar ordinance was passed a year and a half ago, nearly 200 city workers are now members of AFSCME Local 3001. Elsewhere in the public sector, the National Park Service is facing a complaint from AFGE that management illegally initiated the decertification of a unit of workers along the Blue Ridge Parkway in Virginia and North Carolina. We only had one win last week, and that was 78 truck drivers for wholesale beverage distributor Republic in Houston, Texas, voting 55 to 12 to join Teamsters Local 988. Lots of strikes and bargaining updates. First up, the rail negotiations that just three weeks ago were national headlines have slowed to a trickle of news by design, but are not yet over. This week's small update is that a fourth of the dozen rail unions has voted to ratify their tentative agreement, and uh, with the ATDA voting by 64% to accept the deal. We're getting results from three more unions this week, with the Brotherhood of Maintenance and Way employees having voted since the newsletter came out to reject the agreement, which is a very big deal. Members of that union have set a strike deadline uh, slightly after the midterm elections. Members are still raising questions about the process so far, with at least one local chairman in the Machinists District Lodge 19 writing a scathing letter to that union's leadership about the process. 
Male prisoners across Alabama continue to refuse work to push for reforms of living conditions, life sentencing, parole, and time served. 450 steelworker members at West Rock's Cottonton, Alabama mill are still locked out. The workers rejected a, a contract offer with an eye-watering $28,000 ratification bonus as they hold out for penalties for excessive overtime. This week also marked 18 months on the picket line for UMWA strikers at Warrior Met, and Erica Willis wrote about it for Labor Notes. You should check that out. Starbucks Workers United went on strike in Houston, Texas against the national firing wave and in Columbia, South Carolina for the company's unilateral decision to drop COVID isolation pay. 400 workers at Graphic Packaging in Domino, Texas, with steelworkers Local 1148 and 1149 authorized a strike against two-tier pay back in June over a contract that expired back in April. But the union says a strike is still not imminent. Elsewhere in large grocery contracts, something like 17,000 Teamsters will be voting on the first ever national Costco contract. Yet another airline contract has been submitted for federal mediation, this time that of the Airline Pilots Association pilots at FedEx Express. This is somewhere between checking a box and declaring a light impasse, but it's worth tracking for sure. In political fights, Dave Jamison at the Huffington Post has a very useful piece breaking down what's at stake in Glacier Northwest, which is the case the Supreme Court just announced it plans to hear during this session. In the most dire reading, we could be headed towards a scenario in which private sector unions are liable for damages incurred by an employer during a strike which, depending on how you slice it, would basically make effective strikes impossible, since the vast majority of the leverage workers hold is in, is in inflicting economic pain on employers. Of course. The NLRB also ruled this week that dues checkoff provisions should be considered part of the status quo that cannot be unilaterally changed once a contract expires. So that's a little bit of good news to contrast with the potentially world-ending news <laughs> from the Supreme Court. We get a mention in the newsletter this week. He says the Valley Labor Report had researcher Chris Boner on to talk about his fantastic report, Labor's Fortress of Finance. Boner's report is one of the rare, wide-ranging, deeply researched critical takes on the labor movement as a whole that both activists and leadership alike should take a long, hard look at. And finally, in internal union politics, the UFCW reform effort, Essential Workers for a Democratic UFCW has launched with a new website with lots of resources on their diagnosis of what the union's getting wrong and a slate of resolutions they hope to pass at the 2023 convention. And with that, we're going to talk about the, uh, the next story, which is that Hyundai has been fined $65,000 for employing children in Alabama. <laughs> you folks know that we've been tracking this uh, child labor story here in Alabama pretty closely, and we have a pretty big update for you this week. One of, 
only one, but one of the Hyundai suppliers that has been recently found to be employing children in Alabama has been penalized by both the U.S. and the Alabama Departments of Labor for a total of approximately $65,000, as far as I can tell. The Alabama Department of Labor said in their press release on Tuesday... Two businesses, SL Alabama LLC and JK USA, were issued fines of $17,800 each for multiple violations of the child labor law in Alabama. JK USA, if you'll remember, was the staffing agency for SL Alabama, which employs people in Alexander City outside of Mobile down in South Alabama. That amounted to total a little more than $35,000. The U.S. Department of Labor, more interestingly, said in their own statement that they had fined and been paid by SL Alabama $30,000 as well. But here's the more interesting thing. Here's the kicker. And, and I, think, I think, frankly, the only thing of substance, right? Because $65,000, which is the total that's being paid by these varied parties to these varied institutions, the U.S. Department of Labor and the Alabama Department of Labor, $65,000, not a lot of money to a company, uh, to a company like Hyundai, which saw $4.6 billion, with a B, $4.6 billion in profit in 2021. In profit, profit is, let's remember, uh, profit is what you have left over after you've finished paying everybody everything. You've paid your fancy executives all their millions of dollars. You've paid your thousands of employees. You've paid everything. All of this profit is what's left over after you've paid all of your expenses. Expenses. $4.6 billion in profit. And 100 billion, 100 billion in revenue in 2021. Right? So, when we're talking about $65,000 in comparison to those two numbers, it is quite literally a fraction of 1%. A fraction of a fraction of a percent of their profit in 2021. $65,000. Not a lot. Just a slap on the wrist, right? It would be, th- that type of penalty would be like literal pennies to a normal person like you and me. But here is the thing that I think is not nothing from the U.S. Department of Labor, not the Alabama Department of Labor, but from the U.S. DOL press release, in addition to the civil penalties that SL Alabama has to pay, SL Alabama is forbidden from shipping any goods produced within 30 days of a child labor violation. SL Alabama must provide training materials to employees and subcontractors or other entities that provide workers to the Alexander City site to ensure child labor standards must uh, to ensure child labor standards compliance. SL Alabama must hire a third-party company to provide quarterly child labor trainings to all management personnel and subcontractors for a three-year period, and SL Alabama must impose sanctions including termination or suspension 
on any management or subcontractors found responsible for child labor violations. Now, these, these seem like real penalties here, especially, especially that first one. Not being able to ship any goods produced within 30 days of the violation. So just, you know, I'm reading this, just reading this as a layman, right? I'm just a normal working person, just like you. I work my nine to five and I go home and I try to fight for workers' rights too. But And, and so I have some working understanding of the law. Um, but this is just my understanding is that we are looking at a minimum, a minimum, which I, I would think, that it's going to be more than this, but we're looking at a minimum of two months, 60 days worth of production from the whole facility just has to be scrapped, just has to be scrapped. And I say a minimum of two months because let's say, let's say if the violation only happened on one day, which that would be bizarre to only employ these children for one day, right? That would be a bizarre thing. Presumably, this this has been going on for a while, but let's say, but but maybe they only were able to to nail them down on one day. If that was the case, then what they're saying is that they're forbidden from shipping any goods produced within thirty days of a child labor violation. That's thirty days uh, uh, to and from, right? There's a thirty day radius. From the from the violation, so we could be looking at uh, at a minimum, a minimum of sixty days worth of production from this facility that just has to be scrapped. Now that sounds like a lot, you know. So I I I just I have to wonder if I'm if I'm misinterpreting this somehow because you know bosses never have bosses always only get slaps on the wrist. Corporations always only get slaps on the wrist. And I know that we've got labor lawyers that listen to us. So, you know, please do let me know if I'm missing something here. But that's how this release reads to me. And I also tweeted this out. I tweeted that paragraph of the press release from the U.S. Department of Labor and tagged a couple of labor lawyers that I follow on Twitter, and and they concurred with my layman's reading of it. Uh, They said that that's, that's what it looks like to them. So, you know... That's pretty good. I think that's a reasonable economic penalty for for using child labor. Um, This is for, and and these penalties are for, per the Alabama Department of Labor, the determination that SL Alabama had employed three minors aged 15, 15, and 15 in a prohibited manufacturing environment. All three minors were provided by JKUSA, a temporary employment agency, but were performing work at SL Alabama. The minors were operating plastic bonding machines in a prohibited occupation and location. Um, so, as far as the economic penalties go, I'm I'm pretty happy about this. Uh, I think that's a that's a reasonable resolution. The only other thing that we need to see is a few people marched out in handcuffs, and I think, <laughs> and I think that that's that, that's a pretty good resolution to to this facility. Um, and 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 yes, I do think if we're going to be if we are going to be uh, putting people in prison, we're going to be putting people in prison for all sorts of things. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely, the the managers, 
the executives who signed off on this agency, absolutely, they should be, uh, they should be walked away in handcuffs. I'm not saying they should, uh, they should go to the jail for the rest of their lives. Just for this, I'm sure that, I'm sure that you know, you give me, you you uh, give investigators enough time, and they can find some other things that they violate, some other laws that they violated. But but absolutely, I think they should do jail time if poor people are going to do jail time for much less. Um, I do also want to mention that uh, that given my coverage of this situation, I would not be honest if I did not mention that both press releases did call out the Alabama Attorney General's office as people who helped conduct the investigation. But there is still nothing from Marshall directly on this. And if he wanted, he could pursue criminal charges. He could be the one to make sure that the people responsible do actually get walked away in handcuffs for this. And I think that, that is, that's what would be warranted. Um, I still ma- maintain that he will probably not do that. I don't believe that this is something that his, even what's happened now, I don't think is something that his office is going to be touting. We haven't seen anything from him on Twitter or um, on the Alabama Attorney General's website. I'd love to be proven wrong. As, you know, credit where it's due, if there was, if, if there were some people uh, who were not total monsters <laughs> in the office of the Alabama who, Attorney General's office who actually did help conduct this investigation and helped make sure that these charges were levied against SL Alabama. I appreciate your work. We are still waiting on resolution for the situation first reported by reported by Reuters about a Hyundai subsidiary outside of Montgomery that is confirmed to have employed two or three miners and potentially as many as 50. So we'll keep you up to date on what happens there. Uh, last news story, and then we will uh, talk about what, what's going on down south in Montevallo um, about the, uh, the Labor Notes Alabama Troublemaker School. Way 31, W-A-A-Y 31 in Huntsville is reporting that OSHA has opened an investigation into the Amazon facility in Huntsville that caught fire twice in as many weeks, most recently about a week and a half ago. Fortunately, no one was hurt in either fire, but WAFF 48 in Huntsville is reporting that workers are beginning to feel distrustful of their employer as a result of this. And yeah, rightfully so. (laughs) And I do hope that some of them are in touch with one of the entities that is organizing Amazon workers, whether that be RWDSU down in Bessemer, Alabama, or the Amazon Labor Union, which recently announced a campaign in, where was it? Somewhere in California, Fresno. One of the facilities in California just announced that they were filing for an election with the Amazon Labor Union, and there is currently an election slated to begin shortly at an Albany, New York Amazon facility. So hopefully one of these Huntsville workers are in touch with one of the unions that is organizing Amazon workers because... Amazon's not going to protect you, and most likely OSHA will not either. But we did just see a real penalty doled out by the U.S. Department of Labor to a Hyundai supplier using child labor in Alabama. So maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see a real penalty from OSHA for putting Alabama workers in a fire hazard twice in as many weeks. So we'll see. We'll keep you updated on that one as well. 
We're going to go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we are going to be talking about how to assemble your dream team at work when you're organizing your workplace. How do you form an organizing committee? How do you form an organizing committee? We're going to be talking about that with Isaac Standridge. Uh, and this is one of the workshops that we're going to, that is happening, is actually happening right now. As you're listening to this live on the radio and online, if you're listening to us online, but as you're listening to us live on the radio, Isaac Standridge and Luis Leon are giving a training to dozens of unionists from Alabama about how to assemble an organizing committee, how to assemble a workplace committee uh, to make change on the job, uh, to, to affect change on the job. So, so that's what we're going to be doing on the other side of this break. Uh, stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know about how viable clean and renewable energy is. To that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to more than thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. We're working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about our work and how you can join us at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. 
Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Come all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Alrighty, folks, welcome back. You are listening to the Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio show. My name is Jacob Morrison. Adam Keller is not with me for this interview, but we are live to tape online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. And we are joined by Isaac Standridge. He is a member of the Alabama Professional Staff organization. And what we're doing with uh, this show is we're talking to several people uh, from from several panels, from several several workshops, uh, from the Labor Notes Alabama Troublemaker School that is happening right now as this is airing. Uh, and we're doing that so that we can kind of give people a taste of what they're missing, give people, you know, some, some helpful information. Um, and so we wanted to talk to Isaac about one of the workshops that he is leading with Luis Leon about assemb- uh, titled Assembling Your Dream Team. Isaac, uh, thanks for taking the time with us this afternoon. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Jacob. It's good to be with you. And I'm you know, we've been working on getting this Alabama Troublemaker School going uh, for the past several months. Uh, I've enjoyed that process and and know that um, this training is going to be really good. I think it will. I think it will. Um, there are several really good. Um, there are several really good workshops, really good panelists, and like Joe emphasized, Joe Demanuel Hall emphasized last week on the show, you know, I think the important thing is, and this is something that you mentioned, is, is the popular education aspect, the, the ability to learn from one another, whether or not you're actually, um, you're actually, you know, quote unquote, leading a panel or facilitating a, a workshop the ability to, um, you know, to learn from fellow attendees and to network and to build relationships and stuff like that. So I, I'm I'm really looking forward to that aspect of, of the thing as well. So, um, so your your panel is titled "Assembling Your Dream Team." So talk to us about about that. What what are we going to be um, what are we going to be learning in your in your workshop? Great. So yeah, assembling your dream team actually comes out of the hallmark training that Labor Notes is known for. It's called Secrets of a Successful Organizer. Um, Assembling Your Dream Team is the second unit of that training. Um, So it all comes out of this textbook, Secrets of a Successful Organizer. Um, And and Assembling Your Dream Team, uh, like you said, it's about popular education. I'm not an expert in the room. I can share stories of uh, organizing experiences that I've had and everyone else in the room can share the same. 
that this particular training is broken up into two major sections. The first section will be kind of exploring uh, why leaders are important, who the leaders are, what it means to be a leader. Uh, and then the second half will be how is your or uh, workplace already organized, right? And mapping kind of those organizational structures that already exist in your workplace, identifying the leaders that already exist in your workplace, even if they, you know, don't have a title or position or anything like that. We'll talk about natural uh, leaders that exist in your workplace, within your unions, or if you don't yet have a union that already exists there. So no, when you're organizing, you're not, no one's ever starting at level zero. There already exists an organizational structure. There already exists a way of um, workers relating to one another. Um, so in this um, workshop, we'll be exploring that deeper. Uh, we're actually going to be able to get Luis on the line here shortly. He just texted me and said that he's going to be able to join to talk to us about this uh, as well. But let's start with, um, you know, you said that your your workplace is already organized. Your workplace is already organized. So what what do you mean by that? What what does what does labor notes mean when they say that? What do you mean when you say that? Yeah, so there's two kind of ways to think about it that we'll kind of go over in this training. Uh, one way is to think about the work order. How is your workplace already structured? What is the order that already exists, right? So an easy way to think about this is, does your workplace have different departments? Does it have different grade levels? Like, it, you know, if you're in a school system, does it have different department, you know, um, different shifts, right? Are you on first shift, second shift, third shift? So there's already a structure in place that groups people into these teams or um, working collaborative groups that work in close contact with each other. So that's the work order that already exists. Um, and in most places that work order has been designed by the employer or the boss, right? Um, but it does exist. So how do we work within that structure that currently exists? And then the second way to think about it is what are what are what's the social order of your workplace? What are the social relationships that exist there? Are people related to one another? Do they have family that works there? Do they have people that they go to attend places of worship with together? Um, do people carpool? So just kind of identifying those social relationships that already exist and working from there as well. Um, and that's particularly important when we think about questions of why do we need leaders, right? Or what is a leader? So one of the common responses you'll get when you ask someone who a leader is or what a leader is, they may identify people in positions of leadership and say they're a leader, right? Or they may identify, um, you know, there's lots of books about how to be a leader, right? Stephen Covey, those kind of things, right? Um, but that's not exactly what we're talking about here. For the purpose of labor notes, we begin to think about all the different aspects of a leader and just really come away with one key idea. And that key idea is that leaders have followers. It, and if you don't have a follower, if, if, if there aren't followers, then there may not be a leader, but there are leaders in your workplace already. They already have people that they can call on, um, that they have these social relationships with. And, you know, uh, so th there were a couple of good things there that that um, you know are are important to touch on I think and 
one of those things as we uh, as we welcome as we welcome Louise, maybe we can we can just go ahead and and jump and and uh, get him to answer a question just right off the bat. Just throw him into the deep end. <laughs> Good. Thanks, Jacob. Yeah, absolutely. Love pe- love putting people on the spot. Um, yeah. So you know, we've been talking, Louise, about you know we we've been talking for a couple of minutes already about. Uh, the the training and how your workplace is already organized and and he he's he, he was going through basically how your workplace is already organized there are different departments there are you know different sections of the workplace physically and socially and there's also social relationships that that can uh, can or cannot be uh, used by the boss or by your coworkers, and so you know the question that I was going to ask Ad, uh, Isaac, and now I'll ask you is why is it important to understand um, how your workplace is organized already? Right. So, um, do you, you want me to take that, Isaac, and then you you can chime in? Um, yeah, go ahead. I was just talking about you know the work order and then the social order. Um, right. Right. And how to how to grow from that. Yeah. Yeah, I think one reason why it's important to think about 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 how our workplaces are already organized is because sometimes in organizing, we think about someone is coming out from the outside, they're organizing the workers. It's like, there's no organization here, we have to build it. So the idea is, I think a respect for the agency of the people that we're working with to improve our workplaces, that they already have set up a way to undermine the boss, to make it possible to exist in an exploitative workplace. So all right, the, the notion that your workplace is already organized is like, how do you tap into that network of uh, resistance that already exists in your workplace? And it may not be obvious you know, that that network is already there. It could be um, you know, who, who are the people that that you go to if you wanna get something done, who has a good relationship with a supervisor that plays favoritism, right? Um, So that's someone that you wanna be aware of in case they're on the side of management and are gonna snitch on you once you start organizing. (laughs) So the idea is that you're not entering the workplace as this empty vacuum that you're gonna fill in with leaders. They're already Mm. leaders there. Those leaders are either on the side of management or they're on the side of other workers fighting to improve their workplace. Our task is to identify what those dynamics are so that we can play offense when it's necessary or we can you know, play defense when it's necessary. So that's just information that will help us build a strong committee of workers. Um, so that, that's my sense of it. But I'm curious what you think, Isaac in your experience. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, And, you know, this training is kind of, it comes, it's the second step after beating apathy, right? So um, what we learn in that is that there are issues that, and concerns that everybody has, right? Or things that people care about. They may not call them an issue yet or anything like that, but there's things that people care about. And only through understanding those relationships can you find out what people care about, right? So if we if we start with the structure that already exists and work with those relationships that already exist, then we may be able to find out as we move as we progress forward um, 
So one, one, one thing that I often think about is you may not be the person in your workplace that's going to win over another person, right? So you have to identify the relationships that already connect that person and they may be able to win them over in ways that you just can't. Right. That's a great point. I, I totally agree with that. I think it's knowing, like having the humility to know I'm not the leader of this group of people, mm-hmm. right? There are multiple leaders in our workplaces and some folks will identify with us and listen to us when we speak. But at Labor Notes, we like to say that a leader is someone who has followers. It's a very simple understanding of um, leadership. And sometimes it kind of goes against our, our culture where we glamorize people that are eloquent or we glamorize the loud mouths. But in reality, um, what we want is people that can move their coworkers to take action. So I was just on a call before jumping onto this uh, uh, interview with a worker at Amazon in California. And this worker was a learning ambassador. And he was describing to me the process about of how he came to become disillusioned with Amazon and became uh, a militant in his workplace fighting for change. And as a learning ambassador, he was training other workers on how to do their jobs. And he felt like he was being dishonest and selling them lies um, in, in his current role. And for me, someone like that, he came across as a very charismatic person, as someone that was funny, that workers could identify with. Like I had fun just talking to him as an interviewer. <laughs> so um, that's not always the case in interviews. Um, uh, so there's the secret is out. Um, like sometimes people are very shy, you know, and they, they just are not comfortable. They're just giving you canned lines about things. Um, but it's always great when you have an interview and people just open up. So this person really opened up and shared some really good stuff um, that I hope to include in an article. Um, and so my thought was, as I was listening to him, I'm like, wow, this is someone that when he flipped over and became disillusioned with Amazon began organizing, he already had a network of people that looked up to him because he had trained them, right? And we saw that mm-hmm. dynamic with uh, uh, Chris Smalls in, um, in Staten Island, uh, Derek Palmer. These were people that had been at the facility for a long time, had helped other workers out when they were learning the ropes. And because of those relationships, they were able to mobilize them once they started trying to build a union. So I think that's uh, that's key. So, you know, as you know, you're talking about the workplace is already organized and how do we recognize leaders? Um, Why and why is it important to, you know, it's important to recognize leaders basically so that we can get them on the committee. Right. Like we want we want to bring them and then their followers onto an organizing committee uh, to, so that they can they can begin leading with, you know, with with me in my workplace, with, you know, a, a, as a rank and file worker, with the listener in their workplace. 
Um, and so how do you have conversations? So, you know, you've, you've checked out the landscape. Uh, you've, you've recognized, you know, you, you've looked at how the workplace is organized. You see, you know, you, you recognize the, the titles maybe that people have, training ambassador, but also you recognize the actual, like who is actually having leaders. You can be a learning ambassador or, or this or that or a team lead without having actually people respect you. Um, and that's something that, that I think that people will really take away. One of the things that I remember, and I can't, I can't remember if this was from a, a organizer training with labor notes or with the IWW, but it's always stuck with me. How do you recognize a leader? You pose a question to a rank and file worker and see who they go to to get the answer. And that's going to be, that's a good way to get, to, to see who that worker thinks is a leader. Who do they trust to fix a problem for them? Who do they trust to fix a problem for them? And a lot of times that's not going to be their supervisor. A lot of times that's going to be an experienced coworker, And that is somebody that is very important to have on the campaign. And so how do you begin having these conversations with these people that you have identified as leaders um, to, uh, to, to, to bring them into the campaign? And I guess, I mean, Luis, I like since it. you've been talking a, a, a little while, so, uh, so, so Isaac, yeah. you know, what, what are your, uh, how would you go about answering that? Yeah, there's a couple things um, to kind of draw out here. So I'll just start with one, you know, getting back to kind of assembling your dream team. One of the first exercises we'll do is a scenario, you know, we're, this is a popular education, so we'll be brainstorming together with everyone that's there, but Imagine a scenario where the person you think is the leader, right? They may be the steward, they may be the local president, someone that you think is the, the leader now in your workplace. And what happens if you walk, walk in one day and they're fired, right? They're no longer there. How are you going to get the, the rest of your colleagues together uh, quickly uh, to, to begin a campaign, right? So, you know, if people, if we talk about just sending an email, you know, who are we not reaching just by sending an email, right? So as we begin to identify these leaders, we'll begin to develop these networks of getting information and other people on board so that we can do things quickly, right? So we're thinking of leaders just beyond one person, uh, a centralized leadership into multiple people. And that's, that's to your second point about, you know, forming committees and groups like that. And I'll let Louis speak to that. No, I, I agree with, with, with that, Isaac. I think that's right on. Um, I think um, I, I think a slight disagreement with what like Jacob mentioned is like, it's, yeah, it's like there isn't like one leader, right? That you're going to identify as going to solve your problem. I think one of the things that we try to disabuse people of when they come to the labor notes trainings is this idea like we ask people who does the work uh who does the work in your union right or how many people would you say do the work in your union usually you know people would say one person right and the idea is that we want like a union that's mobilized to take action that has many leaders that is leaderful <laughs> right so that's um so yeah i i think sometimes workers also have this mindset of like if i have a problem who do i go uh, to solve it. And it's like, you're looking at like a service model where it's like, I, I'm going to file away like a complaint and some other person's going to take care of it. Um, so I, I think we, tr we try to, to, 
put out like a different framework about leadership and about how do we solve problems in our union. So I think what Isaac uh, shared was like right on. Yeah, and to your point, Jacob, you know, there are different strategies of ways to identify the natural leaders in your workplace, right? And we'll, we'll go into that some about, you know, you mentioned, you know, who do people go to for, for, for if, if a problem arises? Um, but yeah, so leaders aren't always the loudest in the room. They aren't always the most aggressive or the most courageous. Um, you know, at the very beginning of the call, I mentioned that the, the, the crux of it or the main highlight that we like to take away from when we think about leaders is who are, who do they have followers, right? Leaders have followers. And so identifying those people that have followers becomes key in any work that that's going to take place from there. Right. Right. And, and the, um, you know, it, I, I definitely agree with what Luis said. And, and the, the illustration that I, I said about uh, who, who do people, this was in the context uh, that that way of identifying, identifying leaders was presented in the context of we are organizing a workplace and how are we going to get an organizing committee? Not necessarily, you know, um, who, who do we go to for problems in a union workplace? And that's going to be the leader. And that's the only person that we talk to. Um, but because that, that is very important to have, you know, the membership be the membership be in, involved and in, in active um, in when we're addressing issues and stuff. So, you know, how, what are some of, uh, what are some other ways, Isaac, that you, that you think are, um, that, that, that you're going to talk about in this training of identifying leaders? Yeah. So, you know, what, just thinking through scenarios, um, if you attend a, a staff meeting, right, Everybody can probably visualize this as they think through it. When you're attending a staff meeting, there are going to be some of your colleagues that get up and talk. Some colleagues, you're going to cringe and say, oh, they're just talking again. And you're going to begin to tune them out, right? But then there's some leaders that when they get up to speak, people are listening, people are watching, they're agreeing, they're nodding their heads. Um, you know, so... So that's another strategy of thinking about who the leaders are in the workplace. And, you know, and there's other ones, right? Who, uh, if, uh, if someone's having a baby shower, who's the one that gets the information around to come to the baby shower, right? Who, what are the networks that already exist, right? So it goes beyond just putting things in people's mailboxes. It goes beyond just emails and it goes to actually talking to your colleagues. And so, you know, if we're we're able to you know look look at the way that the workplace is structured and 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 identify leaders, the uh, workshop is titled "Assembling Your Dream Team." What are some other things to think about as you are putting together your workplace committee? Uh, and, and Louise, we can throw that to you. Yeah, I mean, I think being flexible. Uh, I think uh, Isaac ended on having conversations with people, right? So when we are trying to identify our leaders, we're trying to identify what do people care about? What are they willing to take action on? Because it's a deeply felt concern that they have. So I feel like we have to have the, some flexibility that someone who may have been anti-union can change and become pro-union. So sometimes we try to set like a hard and fast rule on like, we, we at Labor know sometimes uh, point to our 
our bullseye and say, where do people fall in in this bullseye, right? So if you were to po point people, where are your organizers, your supporters, your hostiles, who's in your core committee? Um, I think that's a, those are not set in stone. People move between those concentric circles. Our task as organizers is to move people closer to the core. So that means that in some campaigns, this doesn't always happen. You could have someone that's in the hostile campaign and they might be hostile, not because they hate the union, but because they hate you as a person. So that means that you're not the right person to move that person, but maybe somebody else is who has a better relationship. Um, so I think when you're assembling your dream team, it's important to not write people off. You want to give people at least three chances, right? You, you doesn't mean that you're naive, that you invite them to the core meeting uh, after they've told you how much they hate unions, but it means that you keep chipping away and talking to them and you'll never know. Management will do something to them uh, where they will flip. So one concrete example is the woman that I interviewed for a piece I wrote for The Real News about a campaign at, Ref at Refresco, a beverage bottler in New Jersey. Uh, they had to go for an election twice. Um, and during the first election, this woman voted against the union. But the second time, because of some issue with her sick leave, I mean, her bereavement leave, um, she, was, she was upset with management and kind of went over and said, you know what, I'm going to mm. screw you by joining the union. So, right. so don't underestimate people's pettiness and anger, right? Like they, that can work towards you, right? towards right. your goals, I should say. For sure, yeah. for sure. And but one of the, oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, that made me, you know, recount a story of, you know, early on when I was organizing and thinking through organizing, I was working with a more um, veteran organizer and interviewing um, workers at a shop that was organizing. And there was this one woman that he approached and she was like, get away from me. I don't want to talk to you, you know, um, leave me alone. And in my mind, as a, as a beginning organizer, I was thinking, well, let's put that person down as hostile. And he goes, no, I'm going to put him down as a maybe. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, we don't know anything about her. We just know she didn't want to talk to us. Right? So it's easy to kind of dismiss people at first glance. But yeah, I, I love that point about give them three tries. And uh, one of the things that that I uh, wanted to emphasize as far as, um, you know, when you're assembling your dream team, your, your workplace committee um, is the importance of the importance of of diversity and in, in many, you know, in, in as many ways as you can. You know, I think one of uh, a very, very, very important way is if you're in a workplace that has a lot of pretty defined departments then you're going to want to make sure that you've got people from each of those departments, right? If you're in a restaurant and your committee is only made of front-of-the-house workers, it's only made of, of servers and hostesses, that then the back-of-the-house staff is not going to feel very represented by your union and vice versa. Same is true. So it's important to try to find leaders in, you know, in, in each department, um, in each, you know, section of the workplace that you're wanting to represent ideally. And then also 
you know, there is, you know, there is the importance of demographic, uh, demographic diversity as well, um, because you want people to feel, you know, you want people to feel represented on the, um, you know, on the committee. When they look at the committee, it would be very easy for, you know, rank and file workers uh, that are not this to look at a, a, a committee of old white men and say, you know, this union doesn't represent me. And so it's important to try to make sure that, that you know, your, your, the, the workplace committee is represented, uh, is representative of the workplace that it's representing. Yeah, and I think a lot of that will come out when you get into the social networks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if people speak the same language, um, you know, have different backgrounds, then, then there may be a way to connect with them through that. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, uh, Luis, Isaac, I think that we have got a pretty good taste of what people are going to be, uh, getting from from this workshop i appreciate both of y'all's time is there anything that either of y'all want to make sure that we hit before uh before we wrap here there is one thing i want to highlight um in case no one else you talk to today any any union any work group can contact labor notes and they'll actually Mm. you know work with you on developing a training right so i had experience of this when i was in san antonio um, we invited some labor note trainers out to San Antonio and did a whole workshop with our local union there uh, and went through secrets of a successful organizer. So um, just because you couldn't attend today, it doesn't mean that this resource is no longer available to you. I didn't pay Isaac to say that, but that was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. And I, I definitely want to second that. That's a, you know, they, I, I've been to one of their trainings before. It was great really enjoyed it um and if you are not able to uh if you're not able to come on saturday on today when you're listening to this um then you can definitely reach out to them labornotes.org Luis, anything oh thank you for having me all right Luis isaac thank you for your time i appreciate it and i'll see you i'll be seeing you right now love it <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, we are going to head to a break really quick, and we will be right back. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. We have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about our work advocating for customers and join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. 
They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at iamaw44.org. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Alabama's only Union Talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My next guest is Courtney Smith. She is a staff organizer for Labor Notes. Courtney, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jacob. I'm really glad to be here. Absolutely. So we are here to talk about your 
uh, workshop that you're going to be facilitating. And this is a workshop that is going to happen twice in the morning and in the afternoon today as people listen to the show. Um, and you're going to be heading up the afternoon session. And the workshop is Beating Apathy. And I think that that is... That's a very important thing. Uh, th that's a very important thing for people to talk about as we are, um, you know, as we're trying to help people organize their workplace. Because for one reason or another, lots of people feel apathetic, and 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 maybe even maybe even not apathetic as in, oh, it would not be good if things changed, but they're they don't believe things can change and so they have resigned themselves to the reality that they're in and they're and they just accept that as as fact and that it's never going to change and it can't change and if you try to change it you're only in for trouble and and there's nothing good that can come from that and so this is a this is a super super important workshop and and that's why it's one of the ones that I wanted to highlight in the main show today, um, in where we're on the radio, where we're going to have the, the largest audience and, and the, the most diverse audience. You know, when we're on uh, the second half of the show, we're online only. So we're going to be getting a lot more union members, a lot more stewards, you know, people that are more sympathetic. They've heard some of this before. Um, when we're on the radio, we have, you know, we've got lots of people listening to us that, that listen to us sometimes, all the time, maybe for the first time right now. That maybe that that have had the thought, I'd like for things to be better, but but there's no way that I can do that. There's no way that it can change, and and I can never form a union. And so you know that's that's why I wanted to highlight this workshop. I think it's really important. Absolutely, yeah. So the workshop really, um, we kind of start off grounding people in how they're how they solve problems in the workplace or in their union at currently. Um, and get them to start thinking about uh, the limitations and the challenges of that um, actually building power. And then we kind of go into, um, you know, giving examples of, of people who currently, how they currently solve problems and talk through that. We have a lot of discussion. Um, we treat these workshops as, you know, everybody that's participating is a teacher and a learner. So nobody in the room is an expert. We're all here to learn from each other. Um, and, um, you know, talk about our experiences. So we, we have a lot of group discussion. Uh, we then go into talking about how the boss keeps us disorganized. And that's, you know, fear, hopelessness, uh, confusion, and division. Um, and we talk about uh, strategies to overcome those barriers. Um, and then once we kind of dig in on that and we discuss like how that manifests in the workplace, we then go into talking about uh, having how to have one on one conversations with people. And I think the crux of, of that is is not that we're trying to give people a, a script um, for them to for them to manually follow. We're really giving them a roadmap and um giving them some kind of pr some principles to go by um, because organizing conversations aren't just gripe sessions for you to complain about what's going on at work and then do nothing about it, right? There's, there's supposed to be a goal there to get people, to motivate people into action. And so like you said, Jacob, you know, um, a lot of people feel apathetic. And so we try to drill in the point that apathy isn't real, that everybody cares about something at work. 
And the only way we're going to figure that out is if we have these one-on-one conversations with them and we really try to get to know them as human beings and also as a part of a collective and for them to see themselves in the in a way that capitalism will never allow them to see themselves as a part of something bigger than them, as a part of a collective um, that actually has power. And so the organizing conversation really uh, drills that in and um, we get people to practice, you know, how to ask good questions, how to be mm-hmm. an active listener, um, things like that, um, and how to, you know, create a sense of urgency and a sense of hope, like you said. Um, I, you know, a lot of people don't believe that things can change. And so how can we um, instill that in them? How can we inspire them to believe that uh, they have the power to solve their own problems um, and that it's not outside of themselves and it's it's not, you know, um, out of the realm of possibility. And we do that through, you know, uh, through those conversations through those discussion, uh, group discussions that we have with other workers who've done the organizing, who have overcome these obstacles and have you know, came, uh, came upon the boss and actually won, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we are able to share those um, with people and then, you know, inspire them to hopefully take action in their own work. Yeah, and so I think that's a great overview, and and we'll we'll go back to the top and drill in a little bit about into how the boss keeps us fearful and divided and and apathetic. And so, what are what are some of the ways that that bosses maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, because this is just the way that our workplaces are structured, it, you know, in capitalism? How does the boss keep us apathetic or fearful? Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of tactics that bosses use. Um, so fear being a tactic, right? So everybody's really afraid that, you know, they'll be fired, uh, they'll be laid off um, if they uh, take action on an issue. Um, and that's, you know, obviously we we know that that's a real barrier that people have. Um, and so, you know, we, we encourage them um, by, you know, sharing that there is strength in numbers, that they're, um, if, if all of you come together, then they're, they can't fire all of you. Right. So, um, there's many other tactics for fear. Um, there's confusion. There's the, you know, putting out information that isn't fact, fact-based. We all know about, you know, union busters, um, just, telling blatant lies about what is happening um, and not giving people the correct information that they need. Um, And then, and so, you know, um, we overcome that, the strategy to overcome that is by, you know, transparency and being honest and communicating to, uh, to workers, like what is actually going on. Um, Then we have, uh, so we have fear, hopelessness, which we, we kind of touched on that, you know, that feeling of um, there's nothing that can be done about it. And that, you know, I think that tactic is what we see in capitalism all the time. We see that in democracy that like, can't do anything about it. Um, And then division being the most important one. Um, So the boss has a lot of tactics to um, that ways that it manifests in the workplace. uh, One of them being racism, um, sexism, um, homophobia, all of these different isms. um, that keep people divided, but also like literal literal divisions where you have, you know, in restaurant workers, for example, have front and back of house workers, um, or you have the two tier workers uh, who are divided by mm. by their wage. 
things like that. Um, and we try to, you know, overcome that, that barrier by um, instilling people that we're all in the same boat, right? Like capitalism is exploiting everyone. Um, the, the boss is our enemy and not each other. Um, and really drilling that in to overcome that barrier. But, but that's probably the hardest one. Right. Right. Well, and the, um, you know, and, and, and you mentioned that as far as trying to deal with the hopelessness that, that nothing, um, or, or, and the apathy, um, you know, the idea that, that somebody wouldn't want something to change or, or that, that everybody cares about something. And, and that's just a fact. Even if somebody says, you know, they've got a good job or they, you know, they like this or they like that aspect. Maybe they even have a good relationship with their supervisor. I have a fine relationship with my supervisor. Right. Um, and, and yet I'm still a union activist. And so one of the questions that, uh, that I believe that I heard at one of the labor notes trainings that I've, that I've been to before is, is the magic wand question, right? You know, if you're talking to somebody and you ask them, you know, okay, I give you a magic wand, what are three things that you would change in your workplace tomorrow? And very, very few people uh, have nothing. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. there's very few, few people that given the power of a magic wand, there's not a couple of things that they would change. And, and so then, you know, you can begin the conversation of like, okay, well, how, how do we actually change? And that goes to what you were talking about um, when, when you talked about combating the fear that people have is that there's power in numbers. Not only is it more difficult for them to retaliate against you, which is something that people are fearful of, but uh, it's also more difficult th for them to resist uh, the demands that you're making when you have more people, which is, uh, you know, a reason for apathy. And, and so, you know, these are all things that, that, that you're going to be talking about in, in, in the workshop that's, you know, important for people to understand. And, and the through line is that there's power in numbers. And that's, you know, that's why, you know, that's why it's called a union. You know, we're, we're united, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll do you a question even better. There was uh, someone came up with a question on the last workshop that I did um, last month. And their question was, is this your dream job? Mm. And I just was like mind blown because, you know, it really gets people to start. I Because I think it's easy for people to answer the, the magic wand question of being like, oh, I don't know. I mean, things seem fine. You know, it's kind of the best that I can get within the current conditions. Mm. Um, but the dream job question, I think gets them to really see, like, you know, get to thinking about, no, actually, I if I were to have my, my pick of a job, it would be with these sorts of like right. conditions um, that is completely different from what we have now. Uh, so I thought, you know, um, that was just an amazing question to kind of get people to start thinking about how they would change their workplace. Uh, but yeah, you're right, Jacob. I think one of the things that I, I forgot to mention um, that we also talk about in this workshop is the bullseye, which um, for anybody who has the secrets handbook, we have the bullseye is on the front cover. And um, that talks about, you know, thinking about your union um, and your workplace as a bullseye. And so in the in the center, you have your core group of people. And then on the out outside of that is maybe your supporters and then you have the disengaged and you have the hostile and it's it's uh you know not a static thing it, mm. it's it's dynamic right it it can change and and be fluid and so we we start 
getting people to think about how can you bring in someone who is disengaged into being a supporter? How can you bring a supporter into being your core group? Um, so that way, you know, it goes from just a few of us doing the work to the majority of us doing work and uh, really building power in the workplace that way. Right. And, and a big way that we bring people one layer closer to the bullseye um, is one-on-one -on -one conversations. And so we'll, we'll talk shortly uh, in, in, in a bit about how we have those one-on-one -on -one conversations. But, you know, uh, first, I think it's important to, to um, ask the question, what is so important about one-on-one -on -one conversations? Why can't I just send them an email? Why can't I have a, a mass meeting and, and just get it all over with at once, right? I, I, I'm a busy person. I'm a busy person, Courtney. I don't have time for one-on-one -on -one meetings. Why do I have to have one-on-one -on -one meetings? Why can't I just call everybody that I want to talk to? All these people, I work with 400 people. Why can't I just call them all in and talk to them at once? These are great questions, Jacob. Um, and that those are the exact questions that I pose to the group when we're having this workshop is like, do we think having talked about all of the barriers that we face in the workplace of fear, division, hopelessness, and confusion, that an email or a nicely graphed gra you know, flyer will, um, will be enough for people to overcome their fears. And you know, the obvious answer there is no, it's not. Otherwise they would have already been involved, right? If that was working. Um, and so the one-on-one -on -one conversations um, like I said, I, I think the importance of the one-on-one -on -one conversations is really um, allowing people to know themselves in a way that capitalism doesn't. And I, I just, I, I love that framing of it because, you know, I think um, we're not treated as human beings in the, especially in the workplace, but even out in the real world, you know, um, when you're uh, basic human needs are commodified and every little thing that uh, you, you have to pay for it, for everything in, mm. in capitalism, right? All of you, all of your basic needs are, are can be taken from you like that. And um, I think it really, you know, it, it alienates people, makes people feel alone and um, confused and afraid and just all of these things. And so having the one-on-one -on -one conversations really starts the process in um, in trans in the transformation for people to believe that uh, the problems that they're experiencing um, are not theirs alone, right? That I think capitalism also has a lot of ideology that that makes people believe that, you know, I'm just not working hard enough. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing X, Y, and Z. Um, and so when we're able to um, have conversations and kind of lay the blame correctly on the boss and and the boss doesn't have to be your direct supervisor right your boss it can be the the, the person above them or the um lawmakers uh elites right like the boss is uh, an abstract term that we use to describe the people who are in power um i'm sorry i lost my train of thought there yeah i mean the boss makes us believe that we're the reasons for our for our issues, right? And so the organizing conversation lays the blame correctly on the boss, and it and it allows people to see that their their problems have solutions, 
Mm. Um, and that they actually have the power to come together with other people to solve their problems. Um, and I think um, you can't do that in an email or a flyer. You can't. Or, or you can't even a meeting, that. you know, it's hard to have, you know, yeah. because the importance, of, it, it, it's just difficult to change to to change people's minds or to change their understanding of their situation in the workplace and in the world, even in a meeting, even though it's face to face, you've got all these other people. It's impersonal, you know. The uh, you know I think you spoke really well to the importance of 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 having a one on one conversation with people, and how humanizing that can be. How humanizing that can be because we don't often take what uh, you know we we do not often take that time to to understand one another um and to talk to one another um and to understand how we can work together to make our lives better and the lives of our coworkers and our community better um and, and so that's i you know i think that the one-on-one conversation is is very important and so that leads into like okay you know courtney fine you've convinced me I'm not going to just send an email. I'm going to go get coffee with somebody. Okay, how do how do I do that? How do I Well, I guess, you know, I, I said I'm going to go have coffee with somebody, but but how do I ask someone to go have a one-on-one with me? That's pretty awkward, uh, you know, especially in today's day and age, right? We like to text, we like to uh, email, we, we you know, we like to do things not in person and and so, you know, asking somebody Asking somebody out may be, uh, you know, may feel pretty awkward to somebody. So how do I, if I'm convinced that it's important, how do I first make the ask to somebody to, you know, talk to me about, uh, uh, you know, about work and about uh, making our work better? And then how do I have that conversation once I've gotten their commitment? Mm. Yeah, these are really big questions that um, I think I've been mulling over. I've been an organizer for four years now. um, And I think the way that I've been trained as an organizer kind of reproduces the way capitalism makes us feel. Um, So I've been really rethinking like how we have these organizing conversations. um, And I think we put a little too much like um, maybe urgency or, you know, this uh, like we have to produce the results immediately, mm. right? Like, um, I think what's important to instill here or to keep in mind here is that these are conversations that will happen over time. And so it's, you know, it could start off with, you know, organizing a, a social happy hour for people to go out and, you know, just like have some fun and let loose after work, right? And kind of getting getting to know people that way. Um, and, and then from there, you know, creating those, um, those one-on-one relationships with people, um, to get to the point of having, you know, making an ask, right. Um, I don't think that the organizing conversation that even the, the steps of an organizing conversation happens all in one setting, I think it can happen over time. And, um, you know, so I think organizers in particular, like, you know, can take the pressure off of themselves and realize like, you know, you're in this for the long call, you don't have to like get a result right away. You know, there are ways that you can um, try to work up to getting to know people one on one in order to have these conversations. 
Um, and then once you do, um, you know, some of the, the guiding principles that we have is uh, we use an acronym and it's called AHUI. Um, and so that's A-H-U-Y. Uh, so the A stands for ask, agitate, and anger. And that just means like at this point, we're asking questions, we're identifying what their issues are and tapping into their righteous anger. Um, the H stands for hope. And so we're sharing our plan to win or examples of success. Um, and kind of at this stage here, like, um, like I said, we're, we're giving people a roadmap. So we're not, we're not trying to sell somebody something. We're not trying to convince them to buy something from us. Um, the hope can, can really just be like, read this labor notes article of this, you know, of a fight that happened, you know, with this exact same issue that you shared and learn about how other workers have actually done this. Um, or it could be, you know, something as simple as, wow, Stacy just told me that she was also experiencing that same issue. I wonder if, you know, are you able to, you know, get together with other people to talk about this? Um, you know, and just getting people to, to get outside of themselves, that it's just their problem alone. Um, so that's the H, that hope. Um, and then urgency. Um, I struggle with this one a little bit. So um, that's, this is the part where I feel like, you know, kind of reproduces capitalism um, to say now is the time to act. I think if we, if if we say that every time we talk to somebody, they're going to stop mm -hmm. believing us, right? right. Um, but how, like I said, organizing conversations aren't just gripe sessions. So I do still think that there's, you know, an importance there to instilling in somebody like that we can do something and we should try to act on it, um, you know, while the while the iron is hot, right? Um or while we're building up to that, like, let's do something about this now because it's not okay. It's not mm. okay for us to be dealing with these, you know, terrible conditions. Um, and then the last one is the why, and that's you. Um, and it's simply, can we count on you to come to a meeting and talk about this with other coworkers? You know, whatever it is that, uh, whatever that plan to win is, um, you're, you know, that's the ask that you're making. Mm. You're trying to get them to commit to coming, um, to uh, committing to your plan to win, to your collective plan to win. I should say that. <laughs> right, right. And I, and I think that, you, you know, you mentioned this at the beginning, but it's important to understand, I think, that not every single one of these things that you mentioned is going to happen in, um, in one one-on-one -on -one conversation. Maybe you only get through one. Maybe you only uh, only get through like understanding, uh, you know, wh what some of what some of their problems are. And uh, your the acronym that Labor Notes has tracks pretty closely with the IAWW's uh, AEIOU. I don't know if you've uh, heard uh, their acronym for their one-on-one -on -one conversations, but it's AEIOU, and they and it stands for Agitate, which sounds very close to what y'all what y'all's is then educate which is very close to the hope um you know it's educating mm -hmm. them about similar situations where people have won uh agitate educate inoculate tell them about mm. what the boss is gonna uh you know what they can expect you know let, let them understand that there are risks but 
They, you can inoculate those risks. You can protect yourself against the risks of facing the boss, and that is by, you know, generally by coming together, right? Uh, o, organize, try to get them, uh, to, try to actually get them on the committee in the union, uh, you know, uh, sign a red card, some, sign an authorization card, something like that. And then uh, U is, is push for the union, uh, which is make an ask. And so, you know, they always mention, and you mentioned, and in all the trainings that I've always been in before, it's important to understand that you're not going to get to every single one of these, likely, in each conversation. Um, because, as you mentioned when you began, that, you know, we are not treated like humans a lot. Uh, uh, under capitalism, at our jobs, in you know, in society, as everything is commodi commodified, we're treated treated like another number, and so it is imperative upon us as as workers trying to organize other workers to not reproduce that when we're talking mm -hmm. to people, and so we don't want to treat, you know, w we really, really, really have to fight the. Um, you know, the the default that we can have to just treat these conversations like another number. Like, okay, I have to hit I have to hit number five, the fifth column on my spreadsheet today, and that happens to be, you know, Joe Blow, right? And so I have to talk to him and I have to get through A, E, I, O, and U. I have to do all of these things. Yeah. That's not how conversations work. That's not how people work. We we want to take Yeah, the, it's take not our organic, time. right? Yeah, right. it's not genuine. Like I um yeah, I, I know I really struggled with this as an organizer in, um, you know, a, a previous job that I've had where I would, you know, kind of ask, like, can we just not make the ask and like, just genuinely get to know these people? <laughs> and they would like flip their shit. It was like, what do you mean not make the ask? And then I came to labor notes and they were like, don't worry about the ask. And it was so relieving. I was like, oh, my, I can actually like focus on building a relationship you know, rather than just making this transactional, because people can feel that, right? Like you can mm. feel when there's going to be, a, you know, something that this person wants from you out of this conversation. Um, so I think it is important for us to really focus on like on, on building genuine relationships with people. Um, we have, we have another workshop that we do um, that really kind of hones in on like, how do we build community with each other in the workplace? And food is another way to do that. Mm. Um, you know, so um, yeah, I think just impressing on people like this is about building relationships and seeing ourselves in a way that that um, the workplace doesn't want us to see ourselves. So, um, you know, treating someone as just you know, I got to get to the ask. I got to get through all of these steps. It's just, it's mechanical. It's not, it's not really organic. So um, yeah, we really try to focus more on, you know, what are the types of questions that you can ask? Like, you know, and kind of categorizing questions in, you know, what are the introduction questions that you could ask? What are the agitational questions that you could ask? What are some polarizing questions um, and some commitment questions, right? Um, so really just, you know, um, I think reconditioning people to uh, be good listeners and to be curious mm. about someone else, I think is is kind of the crux of, of how we frame our organizing conversation. Courtney Smith, uh, staff organizer with Labor Notes, we really appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you wanted to make sure that uh, that we hit before we wrap here? 
No, I think we covered like the whole thing. <laughs> um, I'm really excited to do the workshop and to to do the the, the troublemaker school. Can't wait to meet all of you. Um, so feel free to stop by and say hi. All right, folks. Uh, appreciate it, Courtney. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Jacob. And folks, that is going to be it for our main show today. But you can find us online. We're on Facebook and YouTube streaming live right now. So go find us there at The Valley Labor Report. And you can continue listening to us where we are going to be talking to Matthew Fallone from Local 3905, 3905 of the Communication Workers of America about a couple of stewards workshops that he is going to be giving for the Labor Notes Troublemaker School down in Montevallo. And then we will be talking to Isaiah Thomas about race and labor. Uh, so we got a really good overtime lined up for you today. Um, I hate that you were not able to make the Troublemaker School, presumably if you're listening to this, um, but maybe you'll be able to make the next one. And I hope that uh, this program is of some consolation. With that, folks, we are going to go right into overtime. And for our radio listeners, we appreciate your time. We'll see you next week. And all power to the workers.